Welcome to My 10 Sports. This October 16th, 2023 episode. We have a good one in store with you. Got a, got a lot to cover. Got a lot to cover. Separation Saturday. That's what we titled this this past weekend. I would say past week week seven. This is what we titled it. Separation Saturday. And it was. I mean, both Missouri, Tennessee, Florida, all three of those teams feel a lot better about their seasons after week seven. Whereas Kentucky, Texas A&M, South Carolina, they're a little bit different of where they're going. I mean, you got two of those teams, Kentucky and Texas A&M, going into bye weeks. Where do they go from there? Also, Arkansas rallies in the second half to make a game of it in Tuscaloosa at the very end. SEC this year, guys, just so week to week. Just so week to week this year. I haven't seen anything like this in a long time. Or outside of Vanderbilt, I know Vanderbilt played Georgia well, really didn't go away. We'll talk about that game. But outside of Vanderbilt, I don't think I think anybody's up to get got on any weekend, if that makes sense. No, it's not proper English, but anybody can get got on any weekend in this league, I feel like. It's so week to week, and it's for a while there, I mean, you had a long time. I mean, really, for 15 years, Alabama was at a different level than most, and then Georgia started coming in. Florida had some years. LSU had some years there and there. But there's always a little bit of a gap. This year, there's some massive gap. I mean, you may have Alabama, Georgia, and LSU in their own different tier. But, again, Alabama and LSU both played Arkansas down to the wire. Or I should say Arkansas both played Alabama and LSU down to the wire. Arkansas didn't want a conference game, as you all know. But we'll review all the all six matchups from Week 7. Also have Week 8 power rankings coming out. Probably the most crit- criticized power rankings of the year. Got people all over. People are mad. I got LSU above Alabama. Got Kentucky fans mad. I got Florida ahead of them this week for whatever reason. I know the head-to-head. But, again, th- this is based on neutral field. Right? We're not talking – well, we beat them head-to-head two weeks ago. We'll get into the power rankings – We'll talk a little bit, talk a little bit about more about that as we go on. Jimbo Fisher, where do we go from here after another road loss? We'll discuss that one in depthly. Then we'll also do an initial week eight preview, go over all four of those matchups, all five of those matchups. LSU, we got four conference matchups. You got LSU hosting Army as the out of conference matchup. Then we'll review the week seven money making gambling picks, four, five, and one. One four, lost five, split one. Not what we wanted, but we had a bit. We rallied at night. We had a tough morning. We didn't sulk though. We came back out that evening and did what we had to do and kind of dominated the evening. So we survived the weekend again. Forty-seven percent of the season. We want to get above fifty-five percent for the year. We got plenty of time to do it. It's been a rough two weeks. There's no sugarcoating it. We'll review that. But we will get better. But first, as you know, let's go around. The SEC. Basketball AP poll just came out. Basketball season right around the corner. SEC media days actually this week in Mountain Brook. It's that time. November 4th, first night. It's three weeks away. It's incredible to think about. I feel like we just wrapped up the NCAA tournament. I feel like we really did. It's crazy. But let's look at let's share the screen. Let's share the screen with you. Show you some AP results and then show you some Ken Palm results as well. Five SEC teams in the AP preseason top 25 in basketball. Uh, it's a total mistype here by one three right here. LSU did not get number two. I don't know what that's going on there. But we have five SEC schools, really. You had Tennessee, Arkansas, A&M, Kentucky, and Alabama. Six if you include Texas. Didn't even notice that when I had that up there. I guess that's my bad, too. But on three, having an LSU preseason Having a AP listed at LSU preseason top 25, they someone must tell them this is not women's basketball. Uh, stop sharing this, and then we'll also I'll show you the Ken Palm rankings here for basketball, which is really the more important ones. Ken Palm puts a lot more thought into it, so you can see here uh, for the SEC, you got Tennessee coming in at eighth, Alabama at 10th. Arkansas 14th, Auburn 15th, Texas coming in at 16th. They won't be in the league this year, but again, as we get closer to them being in the league, you're going to hear me bring that up more. Texas A&M 24th, Mississippi State 27th, Florida 39th, LSU 47th. That's their actual men's basketball team. So you got some teams separated here in their in uh, Kim Palm's top 50, which Tennessee, yeah, we'll have our preseason basketball projections next week. Um, 
Well, we may do it the next week, too. It's going to be within the next two weeks. Tip off November 4th. I'll let you know more on that. But, again, Ken Palm's preseason top 50. Tennessee coming in at 8th. Alabama 10th. Arkansas 14th. Auburn 15th. Kentucky 18th. Texas A&M 24th. Mississippi State 27th. Florida 39th. And LSU 47th. And the SEC, according to the AP, had the most of any conference. So, SEC, again, just starting to become a really good basketball conference. Uh, it will be interesting. I mean, we got a lot of good teams this year. we got Tennessee with a lot of guys back. Vescovy, um, a lot of transfer kids they brought in. Uh, Zakai, Zakai Ziegler, Alabama brought some guys in. Grant Nelson, Aaron Estrada. Auburn has Janai Broom back. They brought in a guy, Denver Jones. Kentucky, getting Antonio Reeves was massive. Getting Mitchell, the Mitchell kid, power forward, back front court. Uh, guy from Western West Virginia. That will be massive for the Wildcats. Texas A&M. I mean, you got Wade Taylor, all the – Marble. You got all the guys back. I mean, A&M's got four of the five starters back. Mississippi State, if they can get Tolu Smith back and working, they got the rest of their lineup back uh, between Matthews. They brought in some shooters from Marshall. They brought in a high school kid, the Hubbard kid from Jackson's, a pretty good player too. Florida brought in some portal kids, a big second year for Todd Golden. LSU, same with uh, Matt, Mc, uh, Matt McMahon bringing in some guys from the portal as well. So it should be an interesting year in the league. Can't wait to start talking some more college basketball as we get closer uh, to the season. And it's really here. It's really here. Media Day starting on Wednesday. But moving on to football, some injury news. As you probably heard, Brock Bowers out with a high ankle sprain required tightrope surgery. If you're not familiar with the tightrope surgery, that is what Tua Tagovailoa had back in 2019 when he was quarterback at Alabama. Uh, it's anywhere from four to six weeks. Brock Bowers kind of seems like a superhuman. I could see him – I think he's going to be back. So a lot of people think he's out for the year. I could see him coming back. I'm, I'm being dead serious. I could see him coming back at some point. Would not shock me. I know I think Brett McMurphy tweeted he would be out for the year, but I could see him actually coming back. Maybe SEC championship game. I don't know if they bring him back from Georgia Tech. But SEC championship game, maybe Tennessee. All right, but I expect Brock Bowers to be back. Moving to Mississippi State, Zach Arnett today in his press conference said both Will Rogers and Jaquavius Marks still day-to-day heading into the week before they head to Fayetteville. Mississippi State had a much-needed bye week. If it's not Will Rogers, Mike Wright. It's Mike Wright's turn. They're going to have to really tweak that offensive scheme to his strengths, which is they're going to have to utilize his legs because that's his strengths. He struggles to pass. Jaquavius Marks, one of the best running backs in the league. They don't have both those guys, which I don't think they'll have Will Rogers. It'll be a tough trip to a – an Arkansas team that is much better than its record. Staying on this matchup, speaking of the Razorbacks, Sam Pittman announced that running back Rocket Sanders will be out another two to four weeks, re-aggravated that ankle. We'll see how that goes from there, but he will miss this weekend's home game against Mississippi State. Um, Lane Kiffin says he expects Jordan Watkins back. Uh, He's been their number one receiver majority of the year this week against Auburn, coming off a hand injury against Georgia Tech, kind of getting back. Also also mentioned how – how tough a place Auburn is. I mean, how, and we all know this. Auburn is such a different team when they're at home compared to when they're on the road. I mean, look at the Georgia game and look at them going to Baton Rouge, a place they traditionally struggle and just getting worn out this past week. Auburn's just a totally different team. And Lane Kiffin's aware, smart enough guy to know, hey, like this isn't, we're not going to get the same Auburn team that LSU saw this past week. Now, is Auburn going to be night and day difference on offense? No, but they're going to be more uncomfortable in their own environment. He did mention tight end Caden Priestcorn, who just lost his dad this past week. Will probably play. I'm I'm saying that. I don't think Lane Kiffin's going to come out and immediately say he's playing or he's not playing. I think he's going to play in this one, but Lane, but Lane Kiffin just said, all his, as he knows right now, Jordan Watkins will be back, and that was that. Josh Heupel said in his press conference he does expect offensive tackle Gerald Mincy and defensive tackle Omar Norman Lott back this week for the Alabama game. That's around the SEC. And I mentioned it. It's going to be a talk around the SEC this week. Jimbo Fisher. be a talk around the country, really. But Jimbo Fisher, another road loss and another underachieving performance in Knoxville this past weekend for the Aggies. Last road win for the Aggies under Jimbo Fisher was 2021 at Missouri. I think it was the week after they beat Alabama, actually, in 2021. Jimbo's last road win against a ranked team was in 2016 at Florida State. That is a long time ago. I mean, you're playing at least two to three ranked teams a year in the SEC on the road. Just can't get it done. And I get it. Winning on the road is hard. There's no question about it. Hear me out. 
But when you have had that kind of a losing streak in true road games over the past two years, that's a culture thing. That's more than just, hey, the ball didn't bounce our way. That's a culture thing, just an undisciplined culture to be exact. I mean, I'm looking at it, 11 penalties, two turnovers, and a poor special teams decision that was responsible for seven of the 20 points that Tennessee scored this past week. Tennessee only scored 13 offensive points. It's just undisciplined stuff. You're not going to win on the road doing stuff like that. It's just the same undisciplined acts on a weekly basis. Add in, this is the fourth straight week that an opposing team has scored without an offensive, without the opposing team's offense being on the field. Auburn runs a fumble back defensively for a score. Arkansas had a pick six. Alabama had a safety. And then the special teams blunder this past week. I don't even know why you kicked it to them. We'll talk about that when we're previewing that. Those are the things that get you beat. Four straight weeks that the opposing team has scored without their offense being on the field against Texas A&M. That, that, that can't happen. The sad part is Texas A&M doesn't even have to play perfect or even great to win some of these games. They're right there against Alabama and, and Tennessee. It's just the little things they can't get done, whether at home or away. I mean, I know we're talking about a lot of the away games, but even the home games too. It's just a little stuff. Like that. They don't have to be great. They don't have to be chosen 19 LSU, chosen 20 Alabama. They just have to limit a mistake or two. Because Alabama and Tennessee have their issues as well. But this also just – forget about just all the field stuff. This bleeds into the building. The structure is not where it needs to be when you factor in they have all the resources at, hand, it, it, at their fingertips, at their hands. And I'm not going to go into full details. I'm not going to go into full details. But I worked there in Jimbo's first year in 2018. I saw how the place works internally there. Fantastic people to that entire building. But there are holes in that organization that limit the program from reaching its full potential. It just is. Anyone who's worked there would tell you that. But for the people who want to replace, replace Jimbo, let this sink in. Jimbo's buyout, I was looking this up today, is nearly three times more than the highest amount ever paid in a coaching buyout. That number to be exact is $76.8 million. Three times more than the highest amount ever paid in a coaching buyout in college football history. I think he's going to be back. Now, I say that. You go lose to South Carolina or Mississippi State at home, all bets are off. But I think major changes will need to be made. I, I think if they lose at Ole Miss at, and at LSU, finish 8-4, and four, no, 7-5, and five, which is a total underachieving year, by the way. I, I, I don't – they could pony that up, but I don't know if they will. I, I really don't know if they will. So I think he will be back bearing some epic home loss to South Carolina and Mississippi State. But the best analogy that I have for Jimbo Fisher right now, the best analogy I have is – you're going to be like, what the hell? He's blockbuster. And for you young kids, Gen Z people out there, which I appreciate you listening to the show, you may not know what blockbuster is. But it was a monopoly over the movie rental industry out there. It was like them in Jitney Jungle, damn near about, or I forget, the movie gallery. He's blockbuster. Blockbuster was at the top of the movie rental industry for a decade or longer, but failed to adapt and was ultimately taken over by Netflix. Jimbo Fisher, a top coach in the sport of college football from arguably 2012, 2016 easily. And realistically, people probably would have given him the benefit of the doubt to 2022. So from 2011, 12 through 2020, after the Orange Bowl win, their one loss that they probably should have gotten the playoff in in 2020 that year, their only Orange Bowl win over North Carolina, that team, he's probably in that conversation, a top five coach in college football. But again, like Blockbuster. He is a failed to adjust, not just with his play calling, just how the day-to-day operational building, how he utilizes his recruiting department, defining roles where people are not confused on what they're doing on a day-to-day basis. That's him. They're two peas in a pod. Blockbuster never adjusted when time started changing, and Jimbo Fisher has as well. And again, it's not just his play calling on the field stuff. It has a lot to do with off-the-field stuff. But let me finish with this before we move on to our Week 7 Reviews. A&M is not the same program it was when it entered 2012 in a positive way. In a positive way. And A&M was good in 2012. They beat Alabama that year, their first year in the league. It's a much better job now than it was. They've gotten smarter. They know where to utilize their resources. A&M is a really good job. I saw Josh Pate talking about it in the coaching industry. It's an awesome job. It doesn't have the history or traditions from a success standpoint that some other programs have. But as most of you know, with all the resources and in today's game, they're set up to be consistently a top 10 team year in, year out. You heard me. They, the Texas A&M football program 
with the resources, stadium, support, alumni base, should be a consistent top 10 program year in, year out. They really should. In today's football, call me crazy people. Like, well, they, they've never won a conference championship. They haven't won a conference championship since 98 or 97 in the Big 12. They've never won the division. Is I get it, but the, the sport's changed. Money's utilized different ways. Financial ways are different now. This is different. A&M is a consistent top 10 program if you get the right guy in there because they're willing to spend money. And they're a loyal fan base. But again, I'm just saying right now, Jimbo is going to be back next year. Given he doesn't lose to South Carolina or Mississippi State at home, he loses one of those again. All bets are off. But he's going to be back. But again, A&M's not getting the return on their investment on this. And I understand Scott Woodward, the AD at LSU, was the AD when all this was set up. But there's got to be a little bit more out there. There's got to be a little bit more out there. Jimbo is blockbuster. Blockbuster is Jimbo. Just wanted to bring that up after another disappointing road loss. Again, is not one that he's not beaten. Jimbo Fisher has not beaten a top 25 team on the road since his last year at Florida or his second to last year at Florida State. Let that sink in. Again, another week, another disappointing Texas AM loss where they don't, don't even have to be great. They just have to be good enough because this is a year AM should really be competing for the SEC West in, in November. And we're in the middle of October and they're already out of it. I mean, it's a down year in the SEC, down year in the West. They should be competing for it. But here we are, middle of October. They're out of the SEC uh, West race. And we're going to move on from this segment right here. But moving on, week seven review. Alabama gets by Arkansas 24-21 in the first half where you thought Alabama had done enough to separate itself from Arkansas. The Razorbacks just did not go away, just like they have in all year. I mean – there's been one game, I'd probably say the AM game, where they kind of were out of it in the fourth quarter. But I mean, BYU, they could have won. LSU on the road, they could have won. At Ole Miss, they were up with eight minutes left in the game. Alabama, they had a chance to get off the field if they could have got Alabama off some third down conversions. They had a chance. They could have got the ball back, tied up. They got a fantastic kicker in Cam Little. But Alabama, if you're an Alabama fan this year, at the same time, this just shows you that you cannot get comfortable with a lead against a decent team. Alabama's inconsistencies on offense specifically can, can go for three to four drives, which puts a ton of pressure on a really good defense to hold up for the entire game, which is honestly a lot to ask in today's game. I mean, you're asking for Alabama to go run a decent opponent out of the stadium. I mean, you're asking the defense to almost play a perfect game because they have two or three bad drives, two drives, and Alabama's up 17. That team's right back in it, just like the Arkansas game. I mean, the turning point of this game, in my opinion, was the third and three for Alabama at the Arkansas 12 with seven and a half minutes left in the third. Alabama just driven into the Arkansas red zone with a predominantly consistent run game on that drive. Roydell Williams had two runs of over 15 yards with one going for 34, and Jim Miller had a 19-yard run, run himself. Had a 19-yard run himself there. And you're just going to – Abandon the run when you get there. I mean, I'm pulling, I'm pulling up the film right now. Let's share. I'm gonna show you the exact play. All right, here we are. Third and three. Alabama up 21-6. As you can see, eight minutes left in the third. Alabama goes up 28 to six. It's good night. It's good night. It's good night. Arkansas is ready to get home. They've been on the road for four straight weeks. It's good night. Set a little for a field goal. Feels a little different, 24-6. to six. Feels a little different. Alabama has ran it down their throat. Remember, they've had three-plus plays of 15 uh, – they've had three runs of 15 yards or more. But here you go. So a big nothing play on third and four. Yale Miro just takes the snap. They drop into his zone. Remember, you're in the red zone, so it's condensed. And, again, he doesn't really throw a lot of receptions, and he knows that. He didn't want to do that, just set up a field goal. And the announcers were like, he's booing. Uh, why are the fans booing him, throwing it away? They weren't booing him, throwing it away. By the way, ESPN's announcers now are so bad. It's like they're drawing out of a hat. They were booing the play call. No one's booing him, throwing it away. He made the correct decision there. But then this is the other play. I want to throw here. Bring it up right here. This is it. Third and eight. Alabama can get off the field here. It's probably over two. It's probably over two. But Jalen Key gets a personal foul call here. 
extends the drive. Arkansas goes on and scores on their next two drives, and, hey, we got a new ball game in the fourth quarter. I mean, conservative play call. Arkansas is about to go punt, third and eight. It's about to be third and five or fourth and five, fourth and six. It's over. Drive's over. But let's key our man right here. Let me get the mouse. Oh, sorry. We'll go back on that. Hold on. I'm trying to find it for you. There we go. All right. You see him right there. Jalen Key, the UAB transfer, comes down and, and just doesn't know when to stop. Got a little face mask in there. It's a little, come on, man. You can't be doing that stuff. Stend a drive. You got off the field. That's the stuff that just fires the head coach up. That stuff right there. So those are two key plays I thought in the game that kept Arkansas in the game. Those two plays right there. The ability to not run the ball in third and three when you ran it down their throat the whole drive. And then the personal foul call in third and eight when you were off the field. About to get the ball back. About to get the ball back. Again, those are things Alabama's going to have to get better. Um, Arkansas, though, just does not go away. They're like that kid in the summer just comes knocking on your door all the time asking to cut the grass each week. And you ultimately finally let him do it. Just does not go away. I just do not know what Arkansas wants to be offensively. Just so conservative. Even that third and eight we just talked, they ran just a simple zone read into the boundary. and They were just willing to punt down 24-6. I mean, the first down play calling by Danny Enos was terrible. Seven first downs in the first half, and one play went for five yards or more. That's off. It's setting K.J. Jefferson in that offensive lineup for failure. Seven first downs. They had seven first down attempts in the first half with one play going five yards or more. That's bad, man. That's bad. The Arkansas, Arkansas defense, though, very much improved unit, shorthanded to an extent. But how about Landon Jackson, about what, three and a half sacks on his own? The LSU transfer done a phenomenal job. Um, but going back to Jalen Milrow and the Alabama offense, I went back, watched all 21 of Jalen Milrow's passing attempts in this game. And it's amazing how he looks really comfortable, consistently throws a good deep ball. But then two or three drives later, he looks like he's taking his first few college snaps, missed throws, late throws, forgetting about the play clock, not throwing the ball away and taking a two-yard sack, stuff like that. Speaking of sacks, Alabama's offensive line not played great. Seven straight games with four-plus sacks given up in a game. All, all seven of Alabama games, with them being 6-1 right now, they've given up four more sacks in all those games. How does that happen? That's bad, man. It's the first time in 20 years in college football that's happened. Seven straight games, someone had four-plus sacks or more. And Jalen Milrow, he's to blame for some of those as well. He is currently dead last in the SEC getting the ball out of his hands. 3.4 seconds, to be exact. For reference, the number one quarterback in the league at getting the ball out of his hands it's Carson Beck, Georgia's quarterback, at 2.38 seconds. Remember, this is the average time the ball gets out of the quarterback's hands in a drop-back situation, an obvious passing situation. Dale Milrose last. 3.4 seconds he's holding on to the football. It's last in the SEC. That's the reason these sack, these sack stats are so high. And like I said, for reference, if you're a well, 3.4 seconds, the number one quarterback in the league, Carson Beck's at 2.38. Um, the Alabama defense – like I said, it had two drives in the second half that they gave up some critical downs. But, again, I thought they played another good game from top to bottom. Four sacks and seven TFLs themselves. It's another solid day. But what's next for both these teams? Alabama, 6-1, and 4-0 in the league. It's Tennessee at home before a bye week. Another massive game for both Alabama and Tennessee. Alabama will be looking a little bit for that revenge factor back in Bryant-Denny Stadium after the loss to Tennessee last year. But, again, for both these teams, if they not really for Alabama staying in the division race because they could lose this beat LSU and still win the West. But for Tennessee, for sure. But for Alabama's playoff hopes, because I don't know if an 11-2 and two SEC champ, a two-loss SEC champ gets in the playoffs this year with the way college football is setting up right now on October 16th. But Arkansas heads back home. You know they got to be – they don't. They probably don't even know how to get to their home hotel right now. They've been gone for so long. It's been a month. But they will get Mississippi State at home before a bye week. And Sam Pittman mentioned it today at his press conference. He straight up said, this is a must win for us. A must win. I'm going to go talk to my team and tell them how important it is. I don't care how bad Mississippi State is. We need to be – or who's their playing at quarterback. This is a must win for us at home. I'm sure they're fired up to get back at home. But, again, Alabama gets a 24-21 win over Arkansas at home, and they'll take a conference win. Georgia gets the 37-20 win over Vanderbilt in the Music City. Kirby Smart said Georgia needs to bring its own juice for this game on Saturday. Well, as they say, if you're juiceless, you're looseless, man. Georgia was juiceless right out of the gate. 
Some may expect it. Slow start for Georgia right out of the gate, as I mentioned. And Vandy came out of the gate and scored in the first possession. I'm about to show it to you. Just a little bit of a – this concerns you a little bit if you're Georgia this year. Not not overly. I mean, I, I'm not too worked up about the Vanderbilt game like some are. I mean, it is what it is. But this is some stuff that could concern you as they get later in the year facing better competition. Uh, Ken Seals here. Look at Tyke Smith. Tyke Smith. Right here, 23. Right here, the star. And the nickel, and their nickel, they're playing five DBs here. He's the star. Just a total bust. Watching tell. He's cut. I mean, the safety's got 85 here. So, I mean, what are you total bust there? That's the stuff that concerns you a little bit down the road. Again, not a big deal. I'm not going to take much into this as they head into a bye week because they're beat up. But again, that's stuff that when they start playing better offenses, like oh, if they play Washington in the playoffs, um, if they play LSU in the SEC championship game, even Alabama, I think, could take it a little bit of advantage of some of Georgia's stuff. Not consistently, but you usually don't see Georgia bust. Like, you haven't seen Georgia bust like this in the last two years. And, again, I know the this defense isn't as good as their last two defenses in 21 and 22. But, again, this is stuff that could get them beat as they start playing better teams. And it, it really could. Even Tennessee on the road. I just wanted to bring that up. That was kind of a key play uh, that I got from this game. But going back to just the overall – just the overall just thoughts in this game. Uh, very next possession, Carson Beck gives up a sack fumble, or the offensive line game. Carson Beck took a sack fumble. Vandy looked to be in business, but you could not have scripted a worse start from Kirby Smart and his team right out of the gate. I mean, it was fine. They, they rebound, rebounded, or they rebounded, but just a slower start. Ultimately, though, Georgia went on a 27-0 run after getting down 7-0, had control of the game midway through the third quarter. Game was never in doubt. Anyone who thought the game was in doubt was lying. But Georgia, just like the other teams, a bit inconsistent. They're also beat up limping into this bye week now. As you know, Brock Bauer sustained the high ankle sprain and have to have the type road surgery reported he may be out for a year. I'm betting he's back, though. I'm betting he's back at some point. Could be wrong. It's just a feel. It's like he's kind of a superhuman guy. He's going to recover a little bit faster, and I think he's more of a team guy. But, again, speaking this game specifically, wasn't pretty for Georgia, but it didn't look like it was because of effort or concentration. It's just inconsistencies. There were big mistakes throughout the game that allowed Bandy to hang around for most of the afternoon. Like I said, the Tyke Smith bust on Vanderbilt's opening drive for a touchdown. I just mentioned the strip sack fumble by Xavier Trust and Tate Ratledge on the right side of the offensive line. Carson Beck's interception that was damn near a pick six. was another one. Shocking, not really, but with some – Guys kind of banged up, end of the bye week. It could not be at a better time. Georgia has to get some of these things fixed. But these issues do, do concern me, though. Like I said, if they start playing better competition down the road. But what's next for both these teams? Georgia 7-0, 4-0, heading into their bye week before they head to Jacksonville to face Georgia. Vandy 2-6, 0-4 in the league. Like I said, they'll be heading into a bye week as well. Georgia has Florida next. Vandy heads to Oxford with a matchup against Ole Miss. If you're a Georgia fan, don't panic. This isn't as big of a deal as you thought. This isn't a big issue. I know most of you aren't. You just get to the bye week, get some guys healthy. Um, Some people are panicking about Brock Bowers, and he is a the best player in college football overall. The way he's just utilizing, line him up in the backfield, use him in motion, obviously throw to him, short, intermediate, deep routes. But Georgia has weapons around him, too. I mean, you got Ra-Ra Thomas, Dominic Lovick, Lad McConkey, Marcus Rosemead Jack Saint. I mean, Oscar Delp is a much is a, is a good player himself. Georgia's got weapons now. Some of the I think they'll have some guys step up for him. Is it a loss? Absolutely. Anybody loses Brock Bowers in any team in the country, it's not just a Georgia thing. They lose a Brock Bowers type player, it's going to be an issue. But Georgia has enough skill guys, I think, to make up for it. Again, Georgia heads into a much needed bye week before. Hey, probably a little bit of this back half schedule is a little bit tougher than they thought because they got Florida, who controls their own destiny in the SEC East. And Missouri still controlling their own their destination their destiny in the SECs. Both still have Georgia on the schedule, but again, Georgia leaves the Music City wasn't pretty. They get a 37-20 win. Tennessee stays hot at home with a 2013 win. If you're an offensive guy or get bored of low scoring games, this was not for you. But we told you that. That's why we told you to take the under on the this weekend's bets. But Tennessee kept its SEC East division title hopes alive. Tennessee and Auburn are the two night and day different teams, depending where they play. They're the two teams in the league 
that I feel like you see so much inconsistencies depending where they play. If Auburn's at Jordan-Hare or Tennessee's at Neyland, they're going to play at least on one side of the ball pretty good. They go on the road, they look – it's Jekyll and Hyde. I mean, look at Auburn this past weekend. Look at Tennessee and Gainesville. I mean, it's just where it is, I think, right now. But at Texas A&M, where do they go from here in our bye week? We just talked about Jimbo Fisher, had a whole segment on it, but specifically A&M in this game. Where do they go from here for hosting South Carolina next week at home? Where do they go? You start losing some guys. How's the leadership? You start to question that in today's age. You really do. You start losing. You lose to South Carolina at home. People are going to start finding that $76 million a lot easier. Flipping the other side, back to Tennessee. This is a situation Josh Heupel's never been in. The passing game is just plain battered, and probably in his career. Joe Milton, inconsistent, no real, no real number one wide receiver. Ramil Keaton, the Marietta wide receiver. I like him a lot. He's been a little inconsistent this year. A little inconsistent. Had a big drop. Probably would have went. Not probably would have went for a touchdown last week. Hit him right in his hands. But the run game for Tennessee. Keeping them alive on offense. Very tough to beat right now when Tennessee spreads you out. And you got to pick your poison. You're going to try to defend the run with five in the box. I mean, they have a hat for a hat in that situation. I'll be interested to see how Alabama and Kevin Steele game playing for them this year. Because you got to stop the run. And Josh, I believe said today, like, we have to establish some kind of run every game. That's what they want to do. People think Tennessee just wants to take shots downfield. And they do. They want to establish a run game. The problem this year is that they have – Virtually no passing game right now, especially when you factor in their best receiver, Brew McCoy's out for the year. But I love that Tennessee running back group. Jabari Small, Jalen Wright, Dylan Sampson. They're up there with anybody in the league. They are. Tennessee's offense, uh, Tennessee's run game is really good. It's really good. It's just the passing game, just I don't know if it will get going at this point. The Texas A&M's defense played well enough to win this game. Yeah, they got 232 Yards put on, put on them on the ground, but they buckled down in the red zone and even came up with a critical interception down there as well. Joe Milton with a bad interception, the middle of the field safety. He looked right at him. I don't even know why he threw him. If you go back and watch the film, he's looking right at him. I don't know why he threw it. But how does Josh Heupel manage these kind of games down the stretch, these low-scoring games? He's not used to that. I saw somebody said they overheard him on the field talking to his dad after, like, I made some bad calls. And I, I don't think he knows how to really utilize these timeouts, in-game strategies when he's like, we can't throw for over 100 yards. We just got a run game going. That's it. And our defense, our front's playing really well for us. Kind of, he's never coached a team like this. They're usually outscoring people. So this is an interesting dynamic for Josh Heupel. But the turning point in this game, I'm about to show you, the punt return for a touchdown by D. Williams was the difference. No clue why Texas A&M's punting to him here. No, no clue. You can't give me an excuse. Well, I mean, what do you want him to do? You kick it out of bounds. For you people who are just learning football, there's no penalty for punting it out of bounds. And your punter had been struggling all day. Here it is right here. Situation, A&M's up 10 to 7. Seven minutes left in the third. We're getting to the nitty-gritty in the second half. A&M, I mean, Constantino, is, his heels are on the on the back of the end zone here. So you only got probably about a 10-yard cushion. You just tell him to punt it to the left side of the field here. That's what you do. You don't punt it to D. Williams here. You, you just don't. You don't do it, man. You just don't do it here. This ended up costing you the game. This ended up costing you the game here. I mean, it's a short punt. You punt it out of bounds. At least it's a short punt. You may hold them to a field goal because their offense is doing nothing. But, again, I mean, this isn't even just making – it's just too short of a punt, backed up. I'm punting it, obviously, because I'm in the back of my zone, but I'm punting it out of bounds to the left. That's what I'm doing here. I'm going back to the end zone shot here to show you. We're punting it in this area. We're punting it in this area right here where my mouse is. You're punting it right here to the left of Constantino's arm right there. You got to punt it. I don't care if it, they get the ball to 35 right there. My defense is playing well enough to hold them to a field goal. They have the field position advantage, so – they're probably going to get the ball in our territory to some extent. Our defense is going to have to make a play. I'm accepting of that. But I'm not kicking it in um, to them, and I'm not allowing them to score. For the four straight week in a row, Texas A&M's given up points when the opposing team's offense is not on the field. I mentioned it earlier when I was talking about my Jimbo Fisher segment. Mentioned it earlier. Auburn, pick six. Or no, fumble recovery for a touchdown. Arkansas, pick six. Alabama got a safety against them for two points. And then this, the special teams blunder. Stuff just can't happen. It, it just it, it can't happen. But but it consistently happens. 
Get you beat, man. Get you beat. But the Tennessee defensive front played its tail off and was in Max Johnson's lap all day. James Pierce, a name to keep watching. You'll hear his name early in the 2025 NFL draft. Edge rusher. I mean, Tennessee's defensive line up front, obviously, with guys like Tyler Barron, Roman Harrison. You know about those guys. But even guys on the interior. Karat Garland played really well in the interior. He made AM center Bryce Foster's life hell on Saturday. I mean, Max Johnson finished 16 for 34 for 223 yards and two interceptions. That was all Tennessee's front. They lead the SEC in sacks. Big matchup against Alabama this week. That'll, that's Tennessee's strength against Alabama's weakness. Tennessee's got a good defensive line here. Rodney Gardner's done a hell of a job retooling that line. It may be a miracle, though, just going back to this game, that AM is not on their third-string quarterback right now with the way their offensive line is protecting Max Johnson. It's a modern-day miracle, maybe. The Tennessee defense just wrecked havoc on Johnson. Again, 16 for 34, two interceptions. They pressured him on 25 of his 39 dropbacks and delivered 11 quarterback hits and two sacks per pro football focus. Now, remember that stat I was saying about Jalen Milrow holding on the ball too long? He was last in the conference in regards to holding the ball too long. You know who's second to last? Our friend Max Johnson. He's second to last in the conference at holding the ball for 3.06 seconds per dropback. Then you also got to factor in the lack of a rushing attack. Once again, put the Aggies in a lot of third and long situations. But that's also a credit to Tennessee's defensive line and the lack of ability of Texas A&M's offensive line to get a push. But on 27 third downs in their last two games for A&M, the Aggies have averaged needing eight yards to convert. Their last 27 third downs, they're in third and eight or more. Then another key stat I was looking at last night, A&M has been hot out of the gate offensively, scoring 12 out of their 14 times in their first two possessions across the last seven games. The second half has been the major issue for them. They make no adjustments and come out just all over the place in the second half. In the second half of their last three games combined, A&M has totaled only nine points while committing six turnovers. Just not going to get it done, man. Got to figure it out. Going into a bye week, leadership's got to be key. And in today's college football, going to be tough with three losses and majority of your goal is already out the door. But what's next? A&M, like I mentioned, heading to a bye week at four and three, two and two in the league. Tennessee at five and one, two and one. They're going to take the show on the road. Kind of struggled on the road under Josh Heupel. People make, well, they beat LSU last year. Yeah, that game was at 11 a.m. And LSU fumbled the opening kickoff. Everything went wrong. Tennessee was up 17 to nothing right off the bat. That's really the only big win they've had under Josh Heupel on the road. They're a totally different team on the but they do take the show on the road for the third Saturday in October in Tuscaloosa this week. And another must-win situation for both Tennessee, especially from their Eastern Division standpoint, and Alabama from a playoff standpoint. But again, Tennessee gets the much-needed, almost a loser-leave-town game for both Tennessee and AM. But Tennessee's the one staying in town with a 20-13 win over the Texas A&M Aggies. Moving to the next one, Florida. Overcomes its road woes under Billy Napier, and they addressed it. They addressed it. They knew it was a big deal. They changed the schedule, the itinerary up a little bit. End up getting a 41-39 win at South Carolina. Billy Napier, massive win. The Florida offense looks to be getting extremely comfortable with its identity now. Now, again, some of that, South Carolina's defense not very good. But Graham Mertz, give him credit, 30 for 43, 423 yards, three touchdowns. Coming on, he's not as bad as people think, even me going into the preseason. But the offense in general for the Gators starting to find its way. 11 explosive plays. They're starting to utilize Ricky Persaw and Eugene Wilson on the outside, two very solid receivers. And throw in, they're starting to learn how to use the tight end, Arliss Boardingham, starting to become a primary target in that short intermediate game. But the Gators needed this one with their upcoming schedule. I'm pulling up Florida's schedule for a year. Look at this schedule that Florida has coming up real fast. I mean, they had to have this one to get to six. Go to Florida, schedule, let me share it for you. Friends of the SEC Network showing it. So here we go. All right, so, I mean, look, they're already at one, two, three, four, five. They need one more win to get to boil. They lost that, and they're sitting at four. They're probably not going to a bowl. I mean, Georgia, it's probably a loss. Arkansas at home, it's a winnable game. They could get that. LSU At LSU, it's going to be tough. At Missouri, it's going to be tough. Then Florida State at home. You're going to have to get that Arkansas win. So that's why Saturday was a must win. 
a must win. If they could get to bowl eligibility, would Vegas set their over under win total of five and a half, I think? This game against South Carolina, when they were down 10 with about seven minutes left, probably save that for you people who went the over. I think they're going to get one more. Two more? I don't know if they get seven and five. One more? I think that Arkansas is the one they can maybe get. Arkansas is maybe the one they could they could get. But going back to the South Carolina game specifically for Florida, they had to have it. But on the South Carolina side, you have to feel like you just let one away. The third this year, your third year under Shane Beamer, your offense played way just played well, too well to lose this game. South Carolina's offensive line played probably its best game of the year, along with running back Mario Anderson starting to find his way. You were up ten. With just minutes left at the crib, just minutes at home. If you told Shane Beamer they're up 10 with seven minutes left at home against Florida, he thinks they're going to win. You can't lose those kind of games in year three. You just can't. Spencer Rattler, you kind of start to feel bad for him. Continues to play really good football, 23 for 30, 313 yards, four touchdowns and a pick. That last pick was him forcing it on the last drive. Not really going to hold that one against him. I mean, you do, but, I mean, it wasn't like he threw the pick in the middle of the game or anything. But both defenses were very unimpressive, unimpressive, not from really a scheme standpoint, but just from a tackling execution and just angle standpoint. It was poor. You saw multiple plays of guys being in certain gaps to make a play, but just got stuck in the wash or even on fourth down to win the game for South Carolina. Had a simple play to go tackle Artis Boardingham, the tight end I just mentioned for Florida, to make a tackle in the flats, and you just take a terrible angle and miss him. I'm about to show it to you. Share it to you right here. Remember, I'm taking a piece, key moments of each game throughout the league in all six matchups. I'm going to show it to you. This is the one particular for me it stands out. Remember, they're up 37-27, 7-14, 4th and 11. At your, like, 49, 59-yard line. Game's over if you get the stop here. Game's over. You're playing good scheme here. There's nothing downfield for them. They dish it out to the tight end here. Oh, my gosh, you over-pursued there, Marcellus Dial. Number six, the corner coming up for South Carolina. What a bad angle. What a bad angle to take right there. Dude, you got to break down. Maybe not even the angle. you got to break down there. You, you almost ran right by him. I mean, look at this. His whole momentum's taking him. He just moves back inside and runs right past you. Picks up the fourth down to extend the drive in the game. In the game, that's massive. I mean, this was on Florida side of stuff, too. Just a lot of missed tackles, missed assignments, just getting stuck in the wash. And when I'm talking about the wash, is just getting stuck inside the box. The linebackers just getting washed up inside of the offensive tackles, not seeing it, not having real – not being able to anticipate and see what's going on inside the box is what I mean by getting lost in the wash. But just, again, throughout the whole game, you saw poor tackling, you saw poor angles. You just saw poor execution. I mean, I mean, that's really what it was. You saw overall just poor execution, really by both defenses in this game. Um, but where do both these teams go from here? I mean, whew, if you're South Carolina, it's a tough loss. I mean, South Carolina's after this is two and four overall, one and three in the league. They had to Columbia, Missouri this week, a team they just struggled against. I mean, Shane Beamer's 0 and two against them so far. Drink has his number. Whew. Two and four, one and three in the league. It's in your next, in your next two games are on the road at uh, Missouri and at Texas A&M. It's going to be tough. Florida, five and two, three and one in the league. The SEC East at its fingertips. Now, are they probably going to beat Jordan? No, they're going to about. You got two weeks to go put together a solid game plan. In these last two weeks, call me crazy. We're going to go over the power rankings. People are killing me for putting Florida over Kentucky. Florida's gotten better over two weeks. People are head to head. Kentucky smashed them. That was two weeks ago. In college football, two weeks is almost a lifetime. Florida's getting better, getting comfortable in their offense. Like I said, people are learning their roles. Graham Mertz, offensive line played well. Eugene Wilson, Ricky Persall, they're starting to utilize Arliss Boringham at the tight end position. I'm telling you, game could maybe be a little closer than we think heading into Jacksonville. I think it may go a different route. Florida, you got to be feeling pretty solid from where you were when you were leaving Salt Lake City about six, seven weeks ago. But again, Florida gets a massive, massive road win, 41-39 to 39 in Columbia, South Carolina, at Willie B. at Williams-Brice Stadium. Tough loss for the Gamecocks, though. They probably took the toughest loss 
of the weekend. Them or Texas A&M, but when you're up 10 at home with seven minutes left, I'm going to give that to you as the toughest loss of the week. Uh, moving on, LSU got the 48-18 to win over Auburn. Worst loss in the history of the LSU-Auburn series. Hmm. LSU just hard to defend offensively. Pick your poison. I'm really interested for the matchup in, what, two, two and a half weeks. The Alabama-LSU matchup in two weeks will be interesting to see how Kevin Steele and that Alabama defense attacked him. I mean, if you play up on it on LSU's wide receivers, they can run right by you. But I don't think you can play off because they will just kill you underneath. That's another wide receiver unit that's getting better. I mean, let's pull up the film right here for Auburn. Pulling it up right here for you. It's a play that stood out to me here. Just how good Jane Daniels is, by the way, it shows here too. But Kyron Lacey was the receiver and had the big day for all for LSU. It wasn't Malik Neighbors had a solid day. Um I mean, but Kyron Lacey was the guy. I mean, Brian Thomas Jr. had another solid day, but that wide receiver unit, I was wrong. They're getting better. They're getting deeper. But what I want to show in this play, really, is Jaden Daniels' ability. Look, Kyron Lee here. It's a freshman corner here, over here into the boundary for Auburn. He's the weak link here. That's who LSU wanted to attack. They know Malik Neighbors here. They love the slot fade in this situation right outside the red zone. But – Auburn's not dumb. Ron, Ron Roberts and Auburn's defense is not dumb. They're going to put their best cover guys on Brian Thomas Jr. right here and Malik Neighbors right here, LSU's two best receivers. Well, that leaves another solid receiver, Kyron Lacey, who, for you people who have missed it, if you watch their spring game, um, the L Club spring game scrimmage had a big day. I think he was the MVP on offense. This is a true freshman. They know. Watch Jaden Daniels look off over here, look to safety, know it's one-on-one, -on -one, and watch Kyron Lacey be patient on developing this route to set up the true freshman, the weak link in the Auburn secondary for a score here. Watch this. Williams Daniels. and Taylor, the tight end. Uh, volume down. Let me go back. All right. Watch Jane Daniels quickly look to his left. Boom. Sets it up. Slant. Deep slant. Or dig, I should say. Touchdown. That's a true freshman number three out there. They're finding the weak link in your secondary. They're going to attack it. But, I mean, overall, I mean, look at look at Jane Daniels. Here. This is what I thought was impressive when I was going back and watch this game. Looks to his left, looks him off. Iron Lacey, he's not in a hurry right off his route here. He's being patient. He's getting on the toes of the DB, wants to look like he's going to try to go deep on him vertical, sets him up, takes the dig on the inside, and the rest is history. Touchdown LSU, man. They're so hard to defend. They're so hard to defend. I, I'm really fired up to see how Alabama tries to defend it. Not saying they can't, but I think LSU is one of those offenses this year. I'm not saying they're 2019 LSU. That's just wrong to say. That's offensive to Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, and guys like that. This is a pick your poison, especially when you start talking about the run game. The offensive line's getting better. Logan Diggs is starting to get better. The run game's getting better every week for LSU. It's an emerging run game I like right now. And then you throw in Jane Daniels to his ability to run. I mean, if you go man-to-man, -man, he's going to go take off and find a seam and the protection to take off and make you make plays. Once you Those DBs and man-to-man -man turn their backs, he's off. You're running downfield covering receiver, and he's right on your heels running. And just his ability to anticipate and his accuracy are really good, man. It is. Oh, and I'm totally forgetting Mason Taylor, too, another weapon. Just so hard to defend. Auburn, again, once again, underwhelming on offense. But give LSU's credit defensively. They're playing better up front and tackle better. But I think a lot of it is Matt House is letting the athletes play a little bit. They're starting to be using some simpler schemes, playing a little more, more zone. They look a little bit more cohesive. Again, some of that, though, is Auburn's inability to get anything going consistently at offense. Everything Auburn got offensively was off just some window dressing stuff. There's no identity on offense. And honestly, I'll be – if Hugh Freeze was involved in that play calling, that's disappointing. I thought Auburn should have tried to establish the run more. They kind of panicked when they got down 14 to nothing real fast. I didn't really understand that. You were able to run on Georgia some. Why, why not? I know it was with the quarterback run game. But why not try it? Don't panic. Like he panicked a little early. I mean, but personnel-wise, Auburn doesn't have a lot of people that scare you outside of Jarquez Hunter. Not have a lot of guys that scare you. Uh, Auburn's defense was okay. Thought it was good. It definitely would have had to have played better, even if Auburn's offense played a little better, for them to have a chance to actually win the game. But too many missed assignments, lack of a pass rush without blitzing. That's the thing with Auburn's all defense right now. They only create pressure when they bring an extra person. They can't go get pressure with four like uh, Tennessee or Alabama can. They have to blitz. But where do both these teams go from here? LSU is 5-2, and 4-1 and one in the league. They have Army this week before a bye week before they head to Tuscaloosa. 
Uh, and then Auburn, 3-3, three and 0-3 three, oh in the league with Ole Miss coming to town and a much-needed win. I, both teams need a win. It's an interesting Hugh Freeze-Lane Kiffin battle. It'll be interesting to see here. Um, again, Lane Kiffin mentioned it. Playing at Auburn is a lot different than getting them on the road, especially at night. It's going to be a 6 o'clock ESPN kickoff at Jordan-Hare Stadium. Auburn will be electric. And they're going to want to take Lane Kiffin down. That'll be an interesting one as well. But LSU does get the 48-14 win. Surprising. Highest, uh, worst loss in the history of that series for LSU and Auburn. Remember, they don't play next year, which is disappointing. But again, LSU 48-14 over Auburn. Missouri gets an impressive 38-21 win in Lexington over Kentucky. And I'll say this. I have never seen one play just change the entire game. Entire game. I mean, Kentucky, let's pull it up on the film right here. The fake punt, the Missouri punter, Luke Bauer, throws just a complete dime to Marquise Johnson, who's lined up as the outside gunner. Unbelievable play. Watch this. Watch this when I'm pulling this up. And this changed the whole outcome of the game. Kentucky was never the same after this. Watch this. Kentucky was up 14 to nothing, controlling the whole game. I thought they may run away with it. 14 nothing, second quarter, 11-48, fourth and 10. Watch this dime, our boy Bauer. How about attempting a 56-yarder with a big lane? Kentucky feels good about themselves. They're about to get the rock back. Home crowd's rocking. Look at this. Oh, I mean, for a punter, I mean, maybe a little overthrown. Didn't hit him in stride, but for a punter, 40, 45 yards away, it's a hell of a throw. Totally changed the landscape. I mean, Kentucky never got off the mat out of that. They never got off the mat. It's like they were bullying the kid after school and – just kept throwing rocks at him, kept throwing rocks at him. And finally the kid, the big bully turns his back for a minute, getting a soda out of the soda machine. The nerd, the kid is getting bullied, throws a quick haymaker. He gets knocked down. He never gets back up. He never bullied the kid again. Weird analogy, I know. That's just kind of how it felt. The game was over after that. You didn't know it in the moment, but going back to review the game, it was over. Again, Kentucky was up 14 to nothing with all the momentum at home, looking like they were going to run away with it. Looking solid on offense. Looked like they had some cohesion. It was gone after that. Very chippy game, though, which for this specific game, I love it. Sometimes I hate when games get a little too chippy, especially when it's two really good teams. But this one, I love it. Physical game. They both wanted it, and they both needed it. Kentucky just cannot get anything going with Devin Leary in the passing game. I think Kentucky may have to start going a little quicker. That's where he's comfortable. The, lead, the, the quicker decisions for him will be better. I think he's having to think too much in this Liam Cohen offense. They got to get something going. A lot of it has to do with just giving him enough time as well, though, from a protection standpoint. I mean, Kentucky, they outrush Missouri. But if you turn it over three times and have 14 penalties at home, you aren't going to beat a good football team. And Missouri's a good football team. But Devin Leary is, I think, been the biggest disappointment so far this season in the SEC, especially out of the quarterbacks. Until Kentucky gets a consistent quarterback. They're never going to have that big breakout season. And people are going, well, Dave, I mean, what about chosen 18 and 19? They won nine games. I'm talking about the big breakout where they finish legitimately like second in the West and are really competing in the second in the East and competing in that division come November. I know they had Will Levis got picked early in the second round, but they even had a 3,000, a guy throw for 3,000 yards that Stoops been there. They have to get that fixed. I think Devin Leary has an ability to just to tweak that a little bit. But for Missouri and Eli Drinkwitz, Massive win for the Tigers, who now control their own destiny in the SEC East. Now, they do have to go to Athens. I'm not saying they're ready to win that. They control their own destiny. I mean, Brady Cook was solid again, 19 for, 20, 19 for 29, 167 yards. Not great, but touchdown interception. But the thing I liked was they converted on all six red zone chances. I was more impressed with Brady Cook taking what the defense was giving him. They were Kentucky defensively was not going to give up. Brad White and the defense and Mark Stoops were not going to give up the deep shots of Luther Burden, Mookie Cooper, Theo Weiss like that. But Brady Cook just took what the defense gave, gave him, kept taking the deep out routes. Just, hey, we'll take 8-9. We'll take 8-9. They're giving that up. We'll take it. When Kentucky, was, they, Kentucky did not want to give up the deep shots, and that's fine. But some guys get a little impatient, make a bad decision, throw it to double coverage, easy interception. He didn't. This guy's played a lot of football. He's just, all right, take a flip, throw it down there. That's what he did. Give him credit for that. In the six red zone chances they got, they capitalized on all six of them. They really did. And then the Missouri defense, 
turning the tables with two interceptions among their three takeaways. They had six tackles for loss and four sacks. Missouri outgained Kentucky 324 to 286 and 308 to 136 after the first quarter. After the first quarter, after that fake punt, game was over. Missouri actually dominated. Really fun game to watch. But where do both teams go from here? Missouri, 6-1, and 2-1 and one in the league. Battle, what, the Governor's Cup or what do they call it? The Mayor's Cup, whatever. I forget what they call it. They get South Carolina at home this week. Beamer's never beaten drink. It's in Columbia, Missouri. Should be a hostile environment. Those fans will be fired up to welcome them back at 6-1, and 2-1. and one. It could easily be undefeated if they had to beat LSU. Kentucky heads into a much-needed bye week, 5-2, and 2-2 two, two and two in the league. With Tennessee on deck. Tennessee comes to Kroger Field uh, in two weeks. That'll be Kentucky's next game. But how does Kentucky bounce back from that? I mean, I thought they, I thought this was a good bounce back game for them. But with the stuff with all the, hey, let's donate some more money. And just, I, I just, you're not used to a Kentucky team just totally hitting the mat, not getting up off the mat off of one haymaker. The punt did them in. I'd never seen a team, they just collapsed after that. And they were still up 14 to seven. I just that punt. I mean, give them credit. Give Eric Link, the special teams coordinator at uh, Missouri, and Eli Drinkwitz for calling it. They saw something in the punt scheme. They took advantage of a great pass by Luke Bauer. Marquise Johnson capitalizing, making the catch. Probably the play of the week in the league. Just totally changed it. But again, massive win, massive win, impressive win for Missouri to get to six and one, two and one in the league with a double digit 38 21 win in Lexington over Kentucky. With that said, before we head and preview week eight, let's look at the weeks going into week eight power rankings. It's the most controversial ones I've had. Let's look at it, though. The week eight SEC power ranking, Georgia coming in at one, no real surprise. I got some flack on this, LSU at two over Alabama. I think right now in our neutral field, LSU would beat Alabama. Not saying Alabama won't beat them in two weeks. If I had to pick right now in Tuscaloosa, I'd probably lean Alabama. But on a neutral field, where I usually make these rankings, where I make these rankings up, I think LSU. I think LSU is good enough on offense. They get theirs. They're going to get theirs. They're going to score 28, 30 points. And I think LSU's defense. They're simplifying their stuff, letting their athletes play. Alabama's offense can sputter out for about three drives at a time. And Alabama's defense is really good. But if they have two or three bad drives against the the best offense in the country, in my opinion, LSU. LSU can win the game. I don't think it's that crazy. We got Missouri. We just talked about them playing really well right now, coming in at fourth. Ole Miss coming in at fifth. Some people may be like, how do you have Ole Miss over LSU? They beat them head-to-head. Guys, it's everything. It's a long time ago. And I know Ole Miss dropped a little bit and they didn't play. But they have a chance to redeem themselves in a tough environment at Jordan here against Auburn this week. It'll be a, I tell you, it's going to be a tough environment. Like Ole Miss at five. People think I have Florida a little bit too high. I think they've improved some of the last two weeks if you actually go back and watch the film and not just look at box scores. Tennessee, they get seven. The defense is carrying unusual situation, like I mentioned, for Josh Heupel. How's he going to manage this? Hey, this is an offense we struggle to throw for over 100 yards, but hell, we'll run for 250 on you. They need to get better in the red zone because teams are going to make, well, we'll let them run in between the tackles to the 20. We'll hold it. We'll hold them inside the red zone and just fill goals. Something they're going to they're gonna have to get better in the red zone. But it's, it's a unique situation for Josh Heupel because they're leaning on their defense, which usually he's at having to outscore people. A&M coming in at eighth. Where do they go from here? Much needed bye week. Kentucky, similar to AM. They're coming off two rough performances after looking good against Florida two weeks ago, number nine. Arkansas, maybe the best, worst team in the country. Josh Pate again brought it up today. Would Arkansas win the Big Ten West right now? I think so. I think they're better than Iowa or Wisconsin. I think they'd probably win that Big Ten West right now. But they have a must win against Mississippi State this week. Arkansas, a feisty team, dude. They could have just beat BYU. I think the Arkansas faithful feel a lot better and Sam Pittman doesn't have didn't feel that warm temperature on his rear end. They just beat BYU. I think the thing that pisses Arkansas fans off is losing the non-conference games the last two years at home to Liberty and at home to BYU this year. They can handle losing at LSU, at Ole Miss, and at Alabama in close close fashion, even A&M. Losing to BYU at home, that stinks. Coming in 11, South Carolina, just outside of Spencer Rattler. Offense played well enough, should have won the game. Defense just taking, taking them. It's taking its toll. Bad angles, missed assignments, terrible, uh, terrible tackling. Auburn coming in at 12th. Disappointing performance in Baton Rouge this week. That looked like Auburn, who usually goes and plays in Baton Rouge. That, that's what it looked like. I know Auburn had won in 21 under Brian Harson. Still unbelievable. He ended that streak in Baton Rouge going back to 98. But 
Auburn coming in at 12th, Mississippi State 13th did not play this past week, past week, and Vanderbilt coming in at 14th after giving Georgia a pretty good game. But that's it, my week eight SEC power rankings, my most critiqued one so far this season. People on me about Kentucky and the Alabama-LSU thing. But week eight preview, let's just talk about it for a minute. We're not going to go in-depth, but you know what we do. We have to talk about it um, a decent bit on the show, just previewing it heading into the week. Taking you to it right now. But the week eight, pre. this is this week's schedule, but 11 a.m. Central Standard Time Zone kick Mississippi State at Arkansas and ESPN. Both these teams need it. Both teams need a conference win. Mississippi State coming off of a bye week. Are they going to be rolling in with Mike, Mike Wright at quarterback? Who knows what Jaquavius Marks play? We'll find out. Arkansas, Sam Pittman already said it's a must-needed win. They haven't been home in a month. I'm sure they'll be fired up to be at home. Uh, 2.30 p.m. Central Standard Time Zone kick the CBS game of the week. Tennessee at Alabama. You may know it is a third Saturday in October. Both teams need it. Tennessee needs it to stay in the SEC's race. Can they perform well on the road? Alabama needs to stay. It needs it for the college football playoff race because I don't think a two-loss SEC champ gets in this year the way it's going right now. Who can – who can limit the most mistakes in this game is kind of what it – because they're both mistake-prone, penalty-prone. In Tennessee at what, 11, 12 penalties at home this past week? It'll be interesting to see with that one. South Carolina at Missouri, 2.30 p.m. Central Standard Time. Kickoff on the SEC Network. I mean, Missouri's playing really good right now. I, I would be shocked if South Carolina won this game. I know it's early in the week. You got to lock in tonight, start breaking that one down. But that's a tough way. South Carolina, where do they go from here, man? It's a tough loss they took this week at home, up 10 with seven minutes. How do they rebound? Missouri, got to be feeling good about themselves. They're dominating three quarters in Lexington. Coming back with their home crowd will be fired up to support them. Try to get three in a row over South Carolina. Uh, 6 p.m. Central Standard Time kickoff, the ESPN night game. Ole Miss, Lane Kiffin, and the boys head to Auburn to face Hugh Freeze, as you know. Must have been living on a rock. Hugh Freeze used to be the head coach at Ole Miss. This will be a big one. I think Auburn's going to be ready to play one of the better games of the year at Jordan-Hare. If this game was at Ole Miss at Baldwin Hemingway Stadium, Ole Miss would definitely win this game. But Auburn at night, different place would be a tough game. Then our one non-conference matchup of the week, 6.30 p.m. Central Standard Time Zone kickoff on the SEC Network. Army at LSU. Whoever scheduled this game for LSU, I don't know what they're doing scheduling Army. Granted, Army's not great. Took a loss to Troy this past week. But, again, LSU will head into a bye week after this one. Oh, and I meant to share earlier around the league. Let me share it back for you here in just a minute. Uh, going over, they did announce the week nine SEC TV schedule. So, here it is, the week nine, uh, five matchups. The noon, the 11 a.m. Central Standard time zone game on ESPN for week nine will be South Carolina at Texas A&M. 2.30 CBS game, Georgia at Florida in Jacksonville. Uh, the 2.30 SEC Network game, Mississippi State at Auburn. The ESPN night game at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time Zone, Tennessee at Kentucky. And then the SEC Network night game, Vanderbilt at Ole Miss. The SEC announced today the week nine, October 28th schedule. But before we get you out of here, we got to review the week seven money-making weekend picks. Let me share the screen with you. And then we will get you out of here again. Four, five, and one. Wasn't really what we were wanting, but it is what it is. Kentucky minus two and a half. We talked about that one. Looks great right out of the gate. A punt killed us, though. Missouri won the game straight up. Alabama at half. I felt good about it. Minus 19 and a half, but nope. One play turned that one around as well. Purdue kind of took a gut feeling here. Ohio State had struggled there the past few trips to uh, West Lafayette, Ohio State covered that one with ease. Oregon, plus three. This was a game I pushed. They lost by three. Going for it on fourth down all the time. Dan Landing, that really caught up to them. So as a push, Washington State, minus half in the first half, lost. Arizona went straight up. BYU, plus three and a half in the first half at TCU. First half lost. So you can see my morning games just struggling. But you know what? We picked ourselves off off the mat. We could have sold. We could have sold. You know what? We did it. We did it. Because you know why? Notre Dame and North Carolina were there, baby. Notre Dame minus two and a half, won that one with ease over USC. North Carolina minus three against Miami, covered that one with ease. Then North Carolina and Miami over 57 and a half, covered that one with ease. And then we've got, we've got one win in the afternoon matchups. Texas A&M versus Tennessee under 50 and a half. The final was what, 2017? Easily won that one. Easily won that one. 
So we're at four, five, and one. But you know what? It could have been 2013. So they scored 33 points in a 55 and a half under total. Covered that one with ease. But again, in a mat in in a week where it could have got really bad, we salvaged it with our afternoon win, AM. Tennessee under 55 in our nightcaps with Notre Dame, North Carolina, and the North Carolina Miami over total. But again, separation Saturday was a good one. We got another good Saturday coming up, and I'm giving you all those previews on Thursday's episode. We went around the SEC. We we talked about the AP poll, the Kim Palm poll. It's SEC Media Day week for basketball. Basketball season November 4th. First, that's the first matchup, first night game, first. First night of games in college basketball for the SEC. We talked about Jimbo Fisher. Where to now? He's like Blockbuster. He's like Blockbuster officially to me. That's the analogy I used. Blockbuster never adapted at the time. Netflix overtook them. Jimbo Fisher from 2011 to arguably 2020 was considered a top five coach in the country. Just hasn't adapted, not just on the field, but off the field and how he utilizes his staff as well. We reviewed all the six matchups in the SEC in week seven. We gave you my week eight SEC power rankings. Uh, we reviewed the money-making weekend. It's been a rough two weeks. But this is it. I'm feeling it. The week eight is where we're going to get back on track. We're, go- we're not losing a game. We're not losing a game. But I appreciate you joining us on this episode of Mock 10 Sports. If you like what we're doing, please like and subscribe on the YouTube channel. It only helps us. It's easy. It's free. Uh, you can listen. All these episodes are uploaded in all your platforms. Uh, pl- podcast platforms. Um, And again, rate, review, give us whatever you want, whatever you want. You're the customer. We'll give it to you, man. But I hope you're enjoying the content we provide to you. A guy that worked in the college athletics, college football industry for 10 years. I hope I can bring some insight to you. But again, I appreciate you joining us on this episode of Mock 10 Sports. Have a great week. Keep following us on Mock 10 Sports for the best information on SEC sports.